Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is April the 12th, 2023. Yesterday, I did a great show with a very distinguished Columbia University writer and thinker, Sheena Ayanga about how to innovate. She has a major new book out, um, Think Bigger on Innovation. And as we discussed uh, with Sheena yesterday, uh, we live in an age where we need to think bigger because our problems are bigger. And there is no bigger problem, of course, than the environment and global warming. And one of the central issues in the issue of global warming is transportation. We know all about electric cars, uh, but we haven't done any shows on uh, electric flying or green flying. That's going to change today. We have a new book out, Flying Green on the Frontiers of New Aviation by my guest, Christopher de Belague. And Christopher is joining us from Cumbria, where he spends some of his time in uh, northwest England. Uh, Christopher, uh, how big um, a problem, in your view, is the issue of aviation when it comes to the environment? The problem of aviation shouldn't be exaggerated. It's not the biggest problem. But one of the things that makes it so intractable and so interesting is that it has consistently been minimized and diminished. And so the industry, the airline industry, the aviation industry in general, will tell you that we're really not contributing very much at all, 2.5% of carbon emissions. In fact, if you add in non-carbon uh, warming effects from aviation, you're up to 3.5%, which still isn't that much when you consider that cement is 6%, when you consider that cars are 17%. But then if you think aviation's emissions are growing, not only are aviation's emissions growing, but they're also growing in terms of the proportion, the percentage. And then if you factor in the fact that aviation is an activity that I do, that you may do, but that the vast majority of the world doesn't do, they've never been on a plane, 80% of the world's population. And you have something like a kind of creeping problem that needs to be addressed because aviation is very late to the decarbonization party. It's nowhere near, uh, for example, where cars are. In fact, aviation doesn't even know which technologies are the best in order to decarbonize. So it is a stealthy warming actor and it needs to be uh, identified as a growing problem. Uh, Christopher, I fly United Airlines, and we're always being bombarded with messages from their CEO promising that they're switching over to carbon neutral by the middle of the 21st century. I'm guessing all the airlines, particularly the American airlines, do this. Is there any truth to this? Should we be deeply skeptical of the promises on decarbonization that the airlines make us? You should be very skeptical of that. The aviation industry has mounted one of the most successful rearguard anti-environmentalist actions in corporate history. Um, having said that, there is now increasing pressure on the airlines and on the aviation industry in general, by which I mean the main 
producers of aeroplanes and uh, engines. Um, and that pressure is coming from government and it's coming from consumers. And that's why you're receiving these messages. The messages are always the beginning of the realization that something needs to change. And things are very, very slowly starting to change. So if you've flown out of uh, LAX airport in recent years, you will have used a minute quantity of what is known as sustainable aviation fuel or SAF. And that is the beginning of a process of conversion within, within the United States to SAF that the Biden administration would like to see account for an increasing um, proportion of the uh, fuel that goes into the tanks of the aeroplanes that you and I fly around the world. Um, having said all that, um, there are many other technologies, SAF is just one of them, and all of them have major impediments and major problems before they can be made to work and made to have a proper effect on the aviation industry. The aviation industry, it should be remembered, is something that is deeply liberalized and relies on scale. So it's essentially a question of putting more people into more aeroplanes um, and not charging them very much. That is the business model that the aviation industry has used for the past 25, 30 years, ever since liberalization. And that is another major problem if you're talking about decarbonization. I'm assuming that that deeply liberalized nature of the industry, which depends on scale, is particularly relevant in the United States. You mentioned earlier, Christopher, that 80% of the people in the world don't fly currently. I'm guessing that that number will go radically down. When it comes to flying green, is this mostly, though, at this point, a Western issue and particularly an American issue? It's a Western issue largely, but China is growing very, very fast. Chinese aviation emissions exceeded those of the United States for the first time in 2018, uh, a few years before they were anticipated to do so. Now, that doesn't mean international flights. That's mostly internal flights. And international and domestic flights are under slightly different uh, jurisdictions and slightly different regulatory frameworks. But for the most part, your statement is correct. It is very much um, still a Western phenomenon, still an American ph phenomenon, a European phenomenon. Britain is the third biggest aviation carbon emitting country in the world, which is to some people rather bizarre because we're not a hugely big country and we don't have a huge population, but we've got used to that liberal regime of low-cost carriers taking us for very little money around the world. And we've also got used to the honeyed words of the industry, which tells us we're looking into the problem, we're dealing with the problem. You just sit back, um, uh, uh, purchase more tickets, and let us take care, of, take care of the environmental ramifications. I think it's a convenient mistruth. I think the consumers really know that uh, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of hot air to, to use uh, uh, a pun on this because uh, we all want to continue flying. You note the, ne the neoliberal foundations of the American and the British economies. What about in Europe itself? Are there models for more responsible airlines? Uh, I seem to remember an initiative by uh, KLM, for example, the Dutch airline, to encourage people to take the train rather than fly 
in this show, we're always coming up with Danish or German or Scandinavian models, which um, are slightly more enlightened. Are the Northern European airlines, the KLMs, the Lufthansa's, are they doing things a little bit more responsibly? There's certainly more pressure from consumers and indeed lawsuits have been brought against North European airlines by consumer groups and environmentalist groups um, saying that they are not, uh, saying that they're breaking their commitments on uh, net zero and on uh, being environmentally friendly. Um, I spoke to, for the, for the book that I've just written, Flying Green, I've, I spoke to a very interesting woman in Sweden who is a, um, who started a movement um, which essentially tells people to stay on the ground. She is someone who flew a very, 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 very extensively. I, I think there's something in common with reformed um, cigarette smokers here. People who stop flying really do so with a vengeance. And she was telling me that um, by not flying, you are signaling to the rest of the world, to your friendships, to your friendship groups, to your peer groups, um, that things are not in fact all right, that you cannot just continue with business as usual and uh, things have to change. Now, the KLM um, uh, campaign that you talked about, which was essentially an ad which ran um, just before the pandemic saying, think about this flight. Is it really necessary? Could you take a train instead? That was being fought at exactly the same time that KLM, KLM's lawyers were fighting tooth and nail against a French government initiative to impose a €1.50 environmental tax on every international um, ticket, uh, uh, um, international air ticket. So that's €1.50. That's a minuscule amount. And they were fighting tooth and nail using very expensive lawyers against that at precisely the same time that they were running this ad. So you have to question the sincerity of the airlines um, when they do things of this kind. France is quite... Um, progressive, um, as some would say, as some would see it, quite repressive as the more libertarian um, elements of your audience may see it, Andrew. France has um, introduced a, uh, a ban on all flights that cannot be taken, um, that the equivalent uh, distance cannot be traveled by train in under two and a half hours. And that has had um, a small effect on emissions in, in, um, it, within France. Also, Airbus, being the European equivalent of, of Boeing, um, the biggest aeroplane uh, producer in the world at the moment, um, has a flagship program to introduce hydrogen-powered uh, airliners uh, flying regional routes, flying sort of medium-distance routes by 2035 something that Boeing doesn't have. French legislation is interesting in California, where we are, to be polite, train poor. You can't even get from San Francisco to the East Bay in two and a half hours, but that's another question. And certainly investment in railroads, I would think, in the United States is one way of, of dealing with the, the, the problem of airline pollution. What about the Lufthansa model, uh, Christopher? I fly on Lufthansa quite often. And they encourage their customers to pay a carbon tax of their own. Is this more marketing frills or is there something real to that too? For those uh, liberals who feel guilty about flying but need to, should they and can they be paying their own personalized tax? Absolutely, they should. Um, if you can afford to, 
and if you feel strongly enough on this subject, with, which many people do, uh, then you should offset your emissions when you fly by using a, a very exacting level of uh, set of criteria. Um, you can do that using something produced by the airline, or you can do what others do, and I do this. I use an external assessor that um, within a few seconds, you simply put in the flight, you put in the kind of airplane you're flying in, and you put in the class that you're sitting in, and it will come up with a figure um, which is inevitably higher than the figure that the airline will give you because the airline only wants to give you good news. Um, and you will pay that figure. And by paying that figure, you will be paying for the planting of trees or for the distribution of low emission stoves in parts of Africa that have suffered deforestation. Or you'll be paying for uh, um, solar farms um, elsewhere in the world. Essentially, you will be offsetting. There's, there are many problems with offsetting. Um, mostly because of the accounting methods that are used for offsetting. And the industry has itself adopted a, an offsetting uh, tool, which is called Corsia, um, and which is widely derided by environmentalists because it sets the price of carbon exceedingly low. And many of the offsets that um, the airlines uh, at, the pre at the present time voluntarily pay for would have happened anyway. Uh, so there are problems with Corsia. How many miles a year do you fly? Uh, I think probably for for this for this book, I think I flew uh, something in the region of two thousand miles. Well, that's um, not very up. That's not very many. You didn't even get over to the United States. I I I'm a serious flyer. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I have to two hundred thousand miles. I'm not two hundred thousand miles. No, no. Hold on. So Andrew, what is it? How many how many miles from London to San Francisco? There's about six or seven thousand. Right. Okay. Sorry. Um, let's start. Let's start again. Um, I I flew uh, return London to San Francisco, and I flew London Zurich and back. Mm. Uh, so that was my total flight. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a shamefully frequent flyer. I uh, I I just notched my two millionth mile on United, and on that flight the the airline pilot left his controls. It's probably rather dangerous and came to congratulate me, but actually it's probably a, uh, a mark of disgrace. I should have been shamed rather than uh, rewarded, but you know what Americans are like, Christopher. Um, no, this you is mentioned the, the Chinese model um, and, or China growing as a market. Are there two different models for approaching this? It seems as if the American model, when it comes to environment, really focuses on the market on startups on new technology whereas the chinese model which also leverages new technology tends to be more centralized is the chinese state um is it becoming involved in addressing the issue of flying green no it's very late to this party uh, it, the, the chinese airlines haven't joined corsia which is the voluntary offsetting um, tool, nor has Russia and nor has India. These are other... Um, well, we don't need the Russians in any of these things, right? You don't need the Russians, but you do need the Indians and you do need the Brazilians, and they're not involved, and they won't become involved in until 2027. It's all part of the, um, uh, the sense that the developing world has that they are being made to pick up the bill for emissions that have been uh, long ago um, baked into the climate by 
excessive flying on the part of the Western world. I would actually, Andrew, put Europe up against America in terms of an, alter, a, a, an alternate model. America essentially uh, wants you to use uh, biofuels that are currently going into cars. And as cars become electric, they want um, US airlines to put those biofuels into airplanes. And that's, that's the whole central plank of the Biden administra administration's um, strategy on getting to net zero. Europe has different technologies. Clearly, it doesn't have the same um, vast expanses of agricultural land to spare. Um, and it's using things like hydrogen. It's also using uh, um, uh, other forms of sustainable aviation fuel, one of which is called electrofuel, which involves sucking carbon from the air, uh, fusing it with hydrogen that is being created through electrolysis and then putting it through a, a reaction called the Fischer-Tropsch reaction. And that will come out if you're using um, renewable uh, energy to drive all of these processes, that will give you a hydrocarbon with exactly the same properties as the jet A kerosene that we put into um, the tank of the aeroplanes now. Um, the problem with that is that uh, that requires a great deal of energy, uh, energy that other decarbonizing, other, either decarbonizing um, sectors also require. But on the, on the kind of um, supply side um, uh, end of the equation, what, um, where the Biden administration puts in incentives, the EU puts in mandates. That is to say that by a certain year, the tank has got to be 2.5%, um, then 5%, then 10% um, full of sustainable aviation fuel. And so what you're essentially doing is your sustainable aviation fuel is a top-up fuel. It, it simply replaces um, jet A kerosene, and um, it doesn't require any changes to the existing airframe. And as you know, United and all the other airlines, they buy airplanes uh, expecting to use them for 30 or 40 years. They don't want to be told halfway through um, this period that actually they've got to chuck them away and um, using cleat cheek technology come up with completely redesign the airplane. So SAF is a kind of bridging technology. And then you will get on to the more uh, verifiably um, carbon neutral technologies such as hydrogen and then ultimately uh, and this is the holy grail we're a long way from it um, because of the relative weakness of the lithium-ion battery it will be going electric you mentioned electric uh, archer uh, landed a billion dollar deal um, in back in 2021 from united um, Archer is developing, and I'm not sure what was made up in that deal of uh, a, a personal electric vertical takeoff um, uh, aircraft. Um, are the Americans, as in so many other things, are they the heart of innovation and the Europeans the heart of regulation? Which of these models do you think is more, and I use this word with a degree of irony, sustainable in the future? Um Poetry aside, I think sustainable and um, uh, I think I think that the, the the sustainability of both of these models has yet to be has yet to be proven. Archer. Well, um, but it's been uh, sorry to jump in here. It's been proven in other areas, maybe not quite in aviation, but when it comes to electronic uh, EVs, for example, it was Elon Musk, for better or worse, who who pioneered it in the United States. So, 
That, uh, we can use true. other industries as models, can't we? That, that is true. But at the same time, the Europeans would turn around and say that regulation has, uh, has led to an explosion in, uh, in sustainable energy sources, um, most notably wind farms. And so a judicious use of both, I think, is probably, um, obviously, according to the economic context, um, they're both of them defensible and both of them can have quick results. One of the things that worries me about what's happening in America at the moment, and I think this, this is alongside the revolution that's going to happen, we hope, in sustainable aviation fuel, providing, of course, that, that agricultural practice that goes into creating the fuel becomes carbon neutral, which, which it is far from being at the present time. Leaving aside that, the SAF uh, side of the equation, and just thinking about the electric, yes, of course, um, were it not for Elon Musk, we wouldn't have got a uh, lithium-ion battery uh, operating at the very high um, levels of efficiency and energy that we have at present. But at the same time, we're still nowhere near, from, nowhere near the day where we can carry 70 or 80 people um, a thousand miles in a, in a, a regional airliner um, using lithium-ion batteries. Uh, Archer, and I visited them, and they're in many ways an extremely interesting, extremely inspirational company, um, are going to be producing EV tolls, electric vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, for five or six people. And they're going to be carrying those people generally. The reason why they've tied up with United is that they're going to be carrying people from the airport downtown in place of an Uber. So this is a revolution in kind of, um, it's a social and economic revolution rather than a green right. revolution. So you, and, and you write about um, Uber's uh, elect, uh, a model, a potential model for Uber's electric vertical takeoff model. Would this reflect a, 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 a deepening of the feudal infrastructure, um, certainly in America where the wealthy, the, the, the coastal elites will be using these electric Uber taxes and everyone else um, will be stuck in traffic jams? I think it'll start that way. But I think if the business model that um, all those investors in EV tolls are banking on proves to be correct, and certainly Morgan Stanley um, a few years ago said that the uh, predicted that the uh, market could be worth as much as $1 trillion. If that is correct, then the tie-ups that are taking place between the likes of Archer and major automobile manufacturers, uh, which will drive down costs, increase automation on the factory floor, and essentially turn these aeroplanes into um, flying cars, rolling off a production line, um, and driving down costs as they do, then we could end up, and this is certainly what Archer and the likes of Archer are banking on, we could end up um, with a, a $15 um, fare and ordinary people will be able to, will be able to take them. Whether that when you say we could, a $15 fare, you can't even get a $15 Uber ride from my home down to San Francisco, which is about a mile or two away. So that doesn't sound very realistic. Isn't that just more marketing promise? It $15 could for, a, for an air cab? It could well be. It could well be. Um, they, they certainly want to beat Uber on price. Well, everyone wants to beat Uber on price. Are, are, is Uber investing in this, uh, Lyft, or, or will there be new 
uh, air sharing startups on the horizon? There are so many. There are so many players in the EV toll market um, on all sorts of different continents. There's a very interesting one in China, which is already operating uh, because uh, regulation there is that much more lax than it is in Europe and the United States. Um, Europe has extremely well-capitalized um, EV toll startups. One of them is called Lilium, um, which will take you from, from Berlin to Paris a slightly longer distance than the distances envisaged by um, Archer and Joby and, and the, American, uh, the American EV tolls. Um, it, it's... It, it's it, it's um, it's a very interesting space, but I think the really important thing to, to emphasize here is that it is not in its current form or even the form that is envisaged by these companies going to help the climate. Right. It's that, adding that's demand. The point. So we it's can have demand. Yeah, so we can have privatized Uber style flying, but that's not necessarily beneficial for the environment. I mean, this doesn't sound very radical or new. Back in uh, 1930, in, in Huxley's Brave New World, he imagined air taxis. Um, so the aircraft industry has, hasn't exact. I mean, it's been innovative in terms of safety, but not perhaps in other areas. When it comes to safety, I'm always amazed that there aren't more air crashes. Uh, are you concerned with regulating this, especially with air taxes as our skies become infested with these these vehicles isn't there going to be some some issues when it comes to safety I, I, I regulation is really where all of this kind of stands and falls in fact not simply the ev toll piece of the equation but also all the other things that we're talking about if you're if you're airbus and you want to redesign an airplane um in order to hold large quantities of hydrogen in the fuselage, you want to, um, that's going to be liquid hydrogen that is going to be gasified in flight, then it's going to be, um, uh, then it's going to be uh, combusted. All of that requires clean sheet technology, all of every single design change needs the regulator to come on board and to give their seal of approval. Um, I think the EV tolls, um, you could, you, could, you could certainly see a time when, I mean, let's put it this way. The EV tolls, people are very worried that the skies are going to be infested with um, flying taxis and everyone's going to be flying hither and thither and no one's going to know um, where anyone is going to be um, moving. Of course, there will be corridors. There will be much regulation of those corridors. And of course, um, inevitably, there will be a crash. At some stage, there will be a crash and there will be a tragedy and people will get a big wake-up call. But at the same time, there have been crashes um, throughout aviation history and aviation has not suffered in the long term from those crashes. It simply gets more powerful and, and stronger. So if, if, if regulation is, is essentially considered to have worked for safety, it, it should also be used to, um, uh, to the more elevated goal, in my opinion, which is to create a properly green aviation environment and infrastructure and because we're not just talking about airplanes we're also talking about the infrastructure on the ground um, we're talking about price mechanisms uh, we're talking about the provision of all these different fuels whether that be hydrogen or whether that be a sustainable aviation fuel created through an, ele uh, an electrolyzer or whether that be one like one of the companies that i visited in um in the united states 
um, which is going to be um, which is going to be using um, sugar ethanol from Brazil, or another company in the United States that's going to be using wood chippings um, and the leftovers from the from the lumber industry. All of these things are, are are tremendously exciting, but they need regulation and they need to they need to um, that their, their, their safety um, needs to be proven. Well, Christopher, let's end um, with some suggestions from you. You have this new book out, Flying Green on the Frontiers of New Aviation. A lot of speculation, a lot of promise, a lot of danger too. What would you like to see over the next five to 10 years in terms of initiatives, regulation, new startups, and also perhaps more responsibility on the part of consumers of, of aviation like you and I? I think the consumer needs to bring a lot more pressure to bear. We all know that flying is extremely damaging and we need to insist that the airlines um, move ahead much more aggressively developing these technologies. They're moving way too slowly. A lot of what they're doing is throwing dust in our eyes. And we need to, I'm not here to demonize the industry. I'm not here to say that it should be, um, we should all stay on the ground because that's clearly impossible. What we need to do is engage with those elements within the industry, um, those younger elements, those those people within the industry that have real um, environmentally conscious um, agendas, and they need to um, find in government, in regulation, in incentives, the kind of, uh, the kind of um, help and support that they need in order to make this absolutely vital transition. They need to do it much quicker than the timetable they've set themselves currently um, sets out. Uh, which is net net um, net zero by 2050. They've actually given themselves until 2035 to continue to emit more and more and more. They need to stop. They need to bring down their emissions from today.